All right, hello my friends, it's Mark from English on Command and today we are reading a book The Brief History of Humankind and today we are moving on to our next chapter The Cost of Thinking Despite many differences, all human species share several defining characteristics and most notably humans have extraordinarily large brains compared to other animals Mammals weighing about 60 kilograms have an average brain size of 200 cubic centimeters and the earliest men and women two and a half million years ago had brains of about 600 cubic centimeters. Modern sapiens sport a brain averaging 1200 and 1400 or 1200 and 1400 cubic centimeters. Neanderthal brains were even bigger that evolution should select for larger brains may seem to us like, well, a no-brainer. <laughs> we are so enamored of our high intelligence that we assume that when it comes to cerebral power, more must be better. But if that were the case, uh, the Fallon family would also have produced cats who could do calculus. Why is genus Homo the only one in the entire animal kingdom to have come up with such massive thinking machines. The fact is that a jumbo brain is a jumbo drain on the body. It's not easy to carry around, especially when encased inside a massive skull. It's even harder to fuel. In Homo sapiens, the brain accounts for about 2-3% of total body weight, but it consumes 25% of the body's energy when the body is at rest. By comparison, the brains of other apes require only 8% of rest time energy. Archaic humans pay for their large brains in two ways. Firstly, they spend more time in search for food. And secondly, their muscles atrophy. Like a government diverting money from defense to education, humans divert energy from biceps to neurons. It's hardly a foregone conclusion that this is a good strategy for survival uh, on the savanna. A chimpanzee can't win an argument with a homo sapiens, but the ape can rip the man apart like a ragdoll. Today, our big brains pay off nicely because we can produce cars and guns that enable us to move much faster than chimps and shoot them from a safe distance instead of wrestling. But cars and guns are a recent phenomenon. For, for more than 2 million years, human neural networks kept growing and growing, but apart from some flint knives and pointed sticks, human had precious little to show for it. What then drove forward the evolution of the massive human brain during those 2 million years? Well, frankly, we don't know. Another singular human trait is that we walk upright on two legs. Standing up, it's easier to scan the savannah for game or enemies, and arms that are unnecessary for locomotion are freed for other purposes, like throwing stones or signaling. The more things uh, these hands could do, the more successful their owners were. So evolutionary pressure brought about an increasing concentration of nerves and finely tuned muscles in the palms and fingers. As a result, humans can perform very intricate tasks with 
their hands. In particular, they can produce and use sophisticated tools. The first evidence for tool production dates uh, from about two and a half million years ago. And the manufacture and use of tools are the criteria by which archaeologists recognize ancient humans. Yet walking upright has its downside too. The skeleton of our primate ancestors developed for millions of years to support a creature that walked on all fours and had a relatively small head. Adjusting to an upright position was quite a challenge, especially when the uh, scaffolding had to support an extra large cranium. Humankind paid for its lotty vision and industrious hands with back aches and stiff necks. Women paid extra. An upright gait required narrower hips, constricting the birth canal, and this just when babies' heads were getting bigger and bigger. Death in childbirth became a major hazard for human females. Women who gave birth earlier, when the infant's brain and head were still relatively small and supple, fared better and lived to have more children. Natural selection consequently favored earlier births. And indeed, compared to other animals, humans are born prematurely. When many of, our, of their vital systems are still underdeveloped, a colt can trot shortly after birth. A kitten leaves its mother to forage on its own when it's just a few weeks old. Human babies are helpless, dependent for many years on their elders for sustenance, protection, and education. Now, this fact has contributed greatly both to humankind's extraordinarily social abilities and to its unique social problems. Lone mothers could hardly forage enough food for their offspring and themselves with needy children in tow. Raising children required constant help from other family members and neighbors. It took a tribe to raise a human, a whole tribe. Evolution thus favors those capable of forming strong social ties. In addition, since humans are born underdeveloped, they can be educated and socialized to a far greater extent than any other animal. Most mammals emerge from the womb like glazed earthenware emerging from a kiln. Any attempt at remolding will scratch or break them. Humans emerge from the womb like molten glass from a furnace. They can be spun, stretched and shaped with a surprising degree of freedom. And this is why today we can educate our children to become Christian or Buddhist, capitalist or socialist, warlike or peace-loving. We assume that a large brain, the use of tools, superior learning abilities and complex social structures are huge advantages. It seems self-evident that these have made humankind the most powerful animal on Earth, but but humans enjoy all these advantages for a full two million years, during which they remained weak and marginal creatures. Thus, humans who lived a million years ago, despite their big brains and sharp stone tools, dwelled in constant fear of predators, rarely hunted large game, and subsisted mainly by gathering plants, scooping up insects, stalking small animals, and eating the carrion left behind by other more powerful carnivores. And uh, of the most common uses of early stones, tools were to crack open bones in order to get the, the marrow. Marrow is the uh, sort of like a brain inside the stones. Some researchers believe this was our original niche. Just as 
woodpeckers specialize in extracting insects from the uh, trunks of trees. The first human specialized in extracting marrow from bones. Why marrow? Well, suppose you observe a pride of lions, take down and devour a giraffe. You wait patiently until they're done, but it's still not your turn because first the hyenas and jackals and you don't dare interfere with them, scavenge uh, the leftovers. Only then would you and your band dare, even dare approach the carcass. Look cautious to left and right and dig into the edible tissue that remained. Now this is the key to understanding our history and psychology. Jesus Homer's position in the food chain was until quite recently solidly in the middle. For, for millions of years humans hunted smaller creatures and gathered what they could, all the while being hunted by larger predators. It was only 400,000 years ago that Several species of man began to hunt large game on a regular basis, and only in the last hundred thousand years, with the rise of Homo sapiens, the man jumped to the top of the food chain. That spectacular leap from the middle to the top had enormous consequences. Other animals at the top of the pyramid, such as lions and sharks, evolved into the position very gradually over millions of years. This enabled the ecosystem to develop checks and balances that prevent lions and sharks from wrecking too much havoc. As lions became deadlier, so gazelles evolved to run faster, hyenas to cooperate better, and rhinoceroses to be more bad-tempered. In contrast, humankind ascended to the top so quickly that the ecosystem was not given time to adjust. Moreover, humans themselves failed to adjust. Most of predators of the planet are majestic creatures. Millions of years of domination have filled them with self-confidence. Sapiens, by contrast, is more like a banana republic dictator. Having so recently been one of the underdogs of the savannah, we are full of fears and anxieties over our position, which makes us doubly cruel and dangerous. Many historical calamities from deadly wars to ecological catastrophes have resulted from this over-hasty jump. Next chapter, a race of cooks. A significant step on the way to the top was the domestication of fire. Some human species may have made occasional use of fire as early as 800,000 years ago, but by about 300,000 years ago, Homo erectus, Neanderthals, and the forefathers of Homo sapiens were using fire on a daily basis. Humans now had a dependable source of light and warmth and a deadly weapon against prowling lions. Not long afterwards, humans may even have started deliberately to torch their neighborhoods. A carefully managed fire could turn impassable barren thickets into prime grasslands teeming with game. In addition, once the fire died down, Stone Age entrepreneurs could walk through the smoking remains and harvest charcoal animals, nuts, and gibbers. But, but the best thing fire did was cook. Foods that humans cannot digest in their natural form, such as wheat or rice or potatoes, became staples of our diet thanks to cooking.
Fire not only changed food chemistry, it changed its biology as well. Cooking killed germs and parasites that infested food. Humans also had a far easier time chewing and digesting old favorites such as fruits, nuts, insects, and carrion if they were cooked. Whereas chimpanzees spend five hours a day chewing raw food, a single hour sufficient for people eating cooked food. The advent of cooking enabled humans to eat more kinds of food, to devote less time to eating, and to make do with smaller teeth and shorter intestines. Some scholars believe there is a direct link between the advent of cooking, the shortening of the human intestinal crack, and the growth of the human brain. Since long intestines and large brains are both massive energy consumers, it's hard to have both. By shortening the intestines and decreasing their energy consumption, cooking inevitably opened the way to the jumbo brains of Neanderthals and sapiens. Fire also opened the first significant gulf between man and the other animals. The power of almost all animals depends on their bodies, the strength of their muscles, the size of their teeth, the breadth of their wings. Today, may harness wings and currents, they are unable to control these natural forces and are always constrained by their physical design. Eagles, for example, identify, them the, identify thermal columns rising from the ground, spread their giant wings and allow the hot air to lift them upwards. Yet, eagles cannot control the location of the columns and their maximum carrying capacity is strictly proportional to their wingspan. When humans domesticated, domesticated fire, they gained control of an obedient and potentially limitless force. Unlike eagles, humans could choose when and where to ignite a flame. They were able to exploit fire for any number of tasks. Most importantly, the power of fire was not limited by the form, structure, or strength of the human body. A single woman with a flame of fire stick could burn down an entire forest in a matter of hours. The domestication of fire was a sign of things to come. All right, my brothers and my friends and my sisters, we're going to stop here. Next chapter is our brothers keepers. As we established, we were not the only type, the not only the only race of people living on the planet. So we're going to talk about it next time. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and goodbye.